He's an international man of mystery. And he's on V'ger Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I am whatever I need to be at this exact moment. Peter. Before we discuss this week's episode, a little bit of V'ger Please, mark your calendars, uh, reminders. When you hear this episode, it will most certainly be December 16th, 2021 or later. You can expect to hear our review of Endgame, Voyager's final episodes on December 23rd. A little Christmas treat for everyone out there. We will then do a Season 7 Voyager Rest in Peace as a normal recorded episode that will be provided to all of you before you ring out the year on December 30th. And then to be determined, but in the first week of January, as we emerge into 2022 and all of the new vistas that will be before us, uh, we do want to give Voyager its, I guess, deserved final farewell and do a a whole Voyager rest in peace. And that one is going to be special in a number of ways. We are still organizing that and what that's going to exactly look like involves a, a live element for Peter and I and you know, we, we want to make sure that lines up with their schedules and what day it'll be. We want to include our patrons, all kinds of stuff. So we're still working that out. But you can expect a regular episode the rest of the month uh, and then a, uh, a hopefully not disappointing finale for everyone that's managed to come along on this journey with us, which we thank you for. So with that all out of the way, Peter, what did we watch this week? Season 7, episode 27, Renaissance Man. So this is, I guess you would call it the Doctor Senior Week episode? Fitting that they save the best character that Voyager produced for the last send-off episode of season 7. This is so rich in all of your years of canon that you have built on this show about the effectiveness of holographic crew members there. This episode has everything. It has the doctor literally uh, triple uh, tasking while, you know, on the Delta flyer. It has him as the perfect spy as the, as the perfect physical combatant, as just a one man wrecking crew. It's interesting that you mentioned the word canon. You're referring to head cannon. Yes. The cannon you should be talking about is the arm cannon that you get in Super Metroid right at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, classic video game action going on here where you're you're at the end of the game and it's just the end boss and they give you that gun that can like one shot everything. And wow, a thing is so fucking powerful. This is this is what I'm going to use to kill the end boss. You can't have that cannon in the beginning of the game or it just it's too easy. You know, there's no challenge. They save the doctor's true form, his true potential, <laughs> his Terminator potential. I, uh, <laughs> you're you're encroaching on my uh, my title idea. But, you, you know, everything this guy's ever been capable of, everything we've ever pointed and said, hey, why can't the doctor do X or why can't the doctor do Z? It all happens in this episode right at the end. So by the time they finally establish, yeah, he's possible. He's capable at this point of doing all this stuff. 
it doesn't matter. There's there's nowhere else to go minus, you know, the the exit FMV, you know, full motion video uh, end credits. We're going to be getting to the series here. It is ridiculous. And of all the things, well, I don't know. There's nothing here that he does that's quite as ridiculous as bringing people back from the dead. Um, (laughs) But it gets close. We are officially never going to let that go. We have only one episode left. We're going to successfully hold on to that as possibly the biggest what the fuck stupid thing that this show actually put on the air. God help DS9. If we get through Enterprise and we end up doing DS9 after all, I'm I'm clawing that necromantic feat from Voyager's corpse <laughs> across to Enterprise. And I'll give Enterprise, you know, it it's earlier. I'm not going to hold it accountable to this nonsense. But DS9, the first time someone dies who matters, uh, we're going right back into, well, you know, fucking Dishir, throw what are you doing, there. man? You got to just just post postmortem revival. Yeah, Let's that's do it. Bang it out. I get you don't have nanoprobes laying around, but certainly you can do what a, an EMH can pull off. A season one at EMH, if I recall. Sure. Like, early EMH. Mm-hmm. Not like fully developed Terminator EMH, which I mean, let's let's do the litany. Okay, he he um is a master spy. He impersonates multiple members of the crew with high level of competency. Uh he is effective at manipulating every ship system he can piloting do shuttles he can pilot the shuttle he can encrypt communications so uh, dampening fields site to site transport he is apparently uh got some downloads from the matrix because he can do wall running including the the dopest bad cg uh, wall run disarm phaser shot that straight uh, out of if if any of you played the uh, LucasArts Star Wars Jedi Knight there was a lot of wall running in that and I would say that that <laughs> scene right there felt well at home the, uh, the jumping incorporeally through walls and tables the doctor is genuinely super OP in this episode that is the plot the plot is what if the doctor decided to use all of the Colonel Campbell solid snake training that he got at all the different times that he has encountered danger and put them to work all at the same time in service to what a bunch of discount Ferengi Voyager fans who want to sell the fucking ship for parts. Them tater boys. (laughs) Tater boys are back. The recurring characters you didn't know you needed. Here they are. Who would have thought the last real episode of Voyager would feature as the villain? Not the Borg, not not space Mewtwo's, not the fucking uh, Vidians, not even the Skeevians or the discount Kmart Klingons, but but fucking Tater Boys. I thought the last time we'd see Tater Boys would be um, what was it the Void? Yeah, they were part of the coalition where we got kind of like all of the you know, late Voyager uh, races were cooperating. But Peter, the Tater Boys are officially the last like invented Voyager race that we see in the entire show. Not a bad send off. Not a bad send off. I mean, they are representative of Trekkies, as we determined when we had the original Tater Boy episode. It was empirically proven. Um, The worst. Yeah. The worst enemies of Voyager do end up being Trek fans. That tracks. Uh, we're going to open up with a a reoccurring villain in its own right that I have noticed, and that is 
Amazon Prime's skip intro sucks. Yeah, it's weird. It's by skip intro. Apparently it means skip about eight seconds. <laughs> like dump you into a different part of the intro. Yeah. A little imprecise. Now, luckily, the Voyager intros pretty great. So it's not that big of an inconvenience, but I know what's coming up. Yeah. Are you savoring having this like nice instrumentation, you know, very, very Trek sort of opening with the, the vistas beautiful, of the ship? Yeah, just beautiful Berman era mm-hmm. uh, design language. It's so nice. I am scared shitless to go in Enterprise, and I've been hanging on to these last few Voyager <laughs> episodes with both hands. And the fact that we are somehow at the end of the line. Uh, and this constant for us for the past, what, three years? It's going to be four years four almost years? to the to the day when we wrap it up um, from when you and I started doing like test uh, recordings and that sort of thing, because we fired so that off at the beginning of January 2018. Kicked out of the warm carpeted floors of a Holiday Inn Express out into the cold, barren wasteland of uh, Enterprise's miserable opening. Not looking forward to it, man. And I'm not. It, all I have to say is Amazon Prime, you better fucking ship up that that skip intro because it is going to be life and death hanging on that thing. Also, life and death is I really want to live the rest of my life without hearing the doctor sing opera, uh, lest I die from the from from the uh, the assault on my ears. Sadly, this was not a day where that would happen because we start with. Some music that the little assholes would would truly love if only they knew it was happening. Maybe I think they're they've grown out of their doctor EMH phase. Uh, you got the doctor flying the ship. It's the Delta Flyer, and it's just him and the captain, which seems like uh, two very important people to send off at the same time. They're returning from some sort of a metal co- conference, and we see. Um, we see a lot in this scene. And again, if you've been watching and paying attention this whole time, it is a rewarding moment because uh, we are moving into a developed character of Catherine Janeway, who does not look at the doctor as a oven or a, uh, a medical appliance, but as an actual crewman. Uh, yeah, and... To the point where she she has uh, fought openly in Federation court for his rights. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's there's some warm banter going on there. It, it's still at that level of while I see you as a person, I see you as a very annoying person type of thing. She's not super fond of his personality, but is trying her best to see him as the person that she has clearly come fully around to him being. We and... also find out the Delta Flyer is not soundproof. No, apparently uh, 24th century technology has not uh, not come around to uh, the doctor being able to belt his opera in the uh, operating section of the vessel and not wake up the captain of wherever the, the rack is. And uh, she gets goes to get her coffee after being woken up uh, to find the doctor uh, not only singing opera, but piloting the ship while writing a paper. <laughs> so <laughs> he is maximizing his uh, his not a flesh and blood personness and even starts to kind of like get a little holographic supremacist in his discussion with the captain about it. Yeah. The admission here is once upon a time, he would have given anything to be flesh and blood and just a normal crewman, but he has come to this point 
to embrace uh, his synthetic nature. He, you know, that it's interesting. He always calls himself a hologram and he never, you know, it's never, I love being AI. I love being machine. Uh, it's no, it's, it's hologram, which is silly because hologram is just the flavor of his physical form. Uh, it all comes down to code, but he has turned to love it, which is an interesting development in light of some of the very serious situations he's found himself in, such as uh, what was the Herogen one where they go? Was it Flesh and Blood? Whatever one where the Herogen have been hunting holograms. Yes. For yeah, OK. Yeah. Yeah. That That is Flesh and Blood. And you get, you know, the, the foundations of uh, a new system was it the, the religion of the guiding light or something. Um, the episodes focused on holographic civil war with uh, the humans that made them. And there's been a fair amount of rogue AI interacting with the doctor, uh, preaching uh, the superiority of over over skin and bone so him ending up at this a little of that is stepped in you know like he's uh he's comfortable with who he is now Mm -hmm. but you know he still loves his organic friends of course you know he's a good robot sure as long as that line of code stays intact keeping those um those Those ethical subroutines (laughs) as long as some rogue starfleet agents don't come by and decide to just pick those off and turn them into an immediate monster with no hesitation he's fine hey what's the odds of someone ever editing his code speak of the devil yeah we don't see what happens on screen but we see that there is some uh unsteadiness as they pass through a nebula of some kind uh and when we uh we end up back at the ship. We get a brief scene where Bolana's first with Vorik, former former attempted rapist Vorik, uh, working on some uh, some 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 sort of space doohickey uh, in engineering, uh, only to be called away by Tom, who apparently has replicated a lunch of fried chicken and potato salad with extra paprika, and stored it in space Tupperware. While wearing his Hawaiian shirt, how, how quaintly nineties. But I, I imagine something you can relate to is the "Hey, babe, let's get a, go do something before the, our child is born. <laughs> let's just go have lunch while we can still have peace and quiet between two people." <laughs> you know, you think that's what you want, or or sex, or whatever carnal desires you have. In fact, it's. You look back and go, God, remember, I could just come home from work and lay on the bed and fall asleep. <laughs> no fried chicken dinners. You just you I just had... went blissful unconsciousness. That that's that's light years beyond just the most basic. God, remember, I could just sit there and look at the wall and not hear someone putting some bodily fluid on the floor behind me or God forbid the carpet. Yeah, Tom and, and Bellana, if only you knew what's in front of you. I'm really surprised that uh, Bellana hasn't popped the kid out yet this deep in the season. Oh, that's such a save it for the finale moment. You know it. <sighs> I again, my heart goes out to uh, to Roxanne Dawson for being saddled with a baby bump a second time after the first time they fought so hard to hide it. Like what a fuck you. (laughs) Well, I mean, they even have a moment in the episode where she doesn't have to wear it. They do a gag. Yeah. 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 I didn't even think about that. Yeah. 
uh, at one point when the doctor like impersonates her, it's without the bump. So she's like in the normal uniform and then the doctor notices, oh, I'm not pregnant. I should fix that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, she declines the fried chicken and potato salad. Sorry, honey, I got to finish my work for the captain before she gets back. I want to say if Tom really was a student of the old ways, that fried chicken should have been in a bucket, a, a red and white bucket. I might Not, have been t- that might have been a little too uh, copyright infringy for it could have been to get a away with bucket, just not fucking Tupperware. Come on, guys. I, I think on. this might be the scene, though, between the two of them that had the most like genuine, easy chemistry in the entire run of the show. Like they're just like having a normal married couple conversation. And she's like, no, nah, they- I got to go scrub the warp core because I promised the captain I've had the plasma what's it called back on time before she gets in. And he's like, uh, all right, cut up to the bridge and it's go time. Oh, that's the best scene in the episode by far. <laughs> you have Harry Kim in the captain's chair where he never belongs, but really the star of this scene. And you can tell because he's the one who's in focus with the camera dollying around him the entire time. It's the man, the myth, the legend, our consistent favorite background element, smoldering catcher guy himself, Lieutenant Ayala, who is in a red uniform and at the con. And also, according to X-Ray, uh, he is credited as tactical ND. Whatever that means. I don't know what that means either, but what I do see is finally our boy getting like three lines in a row. Like this is all the talking he does in the entirety of the show, except for the one time when he gets asked if he knows how to use a bow and arrow or he like can run fast in basics part two. And he's like, yes, like that's it. This is, this is the only time Terry Garrison ever gets lines and gets credited for having lines. And you can tell that this was a reward for him being a background extra for seven years because they set this scene up just for him. And seriously, the camera is focused on him and it dollies to the left and focuses on him as he delivers his very important lines about the techno nonsense that's happening around them. It's like, all right, buddy, this is it. This is your time to shine. Put this shit on your reel. You earned it, bud. Mm -hmm. This is resume happening real time the uh disturbance they're picking up is the delta flyer coming in hot and it is hitting them with a beam off the main deflector now i'm kind of getting a little bit of a flashback from uh that last kess episode where she slams her shuttlecraft into the ship and causes a little problem there but uh no that's not what's going on Something happened to Delta Flyer, got fucked up. Regular comms aren't working, so they're sending a weird signal along the deflector dish to communicate with uh, Voyager. And hey, uh, I want Chakotay in my ready room ready to talk ASAP. I'm coming in with some hot news. So we've already spoiled it, so I want to talk about it using the information that we now know. Throughout the rest of this episode, the main drama is that the doctor is pulling the greatest op that this ship has ever seen from this point forward. 
He basically chain impersonates different members of the crew to accomplish what appears to be some fucking rogue AI bullshit at the beginning. But we'll, we will later come to understand is him trying to fix the problem of the Tater Boys having captured the actual captain. And what's really neat about the performances in this episode is that they, everyone is just a little bit wrong because they're being played as if it is the EMH interpreting who they are via his understanding of them. He can look like them and sound like them perfectly because he's got his all of their parameters downloaded into um, his uh, mobile emitter. But his impersonation of the captain isn't quite exactly the captain. And you can tell a lot of hand gestures, a lot of uh, speech patterns. And we've seen this before. We jump back to uh, maybe it was flesh and blood where he's sharing a body with seven. Yeah. So set like in that episode, Jerry Ryan had to play seven as if seven was inhabited by the doctor. So she was acting more like the doctor. And this is, even like kind of like second level because it's Jane, it's it's Kate Mulgrew acting like Janeway, if as if she was in being impersonated by the EMH. So her she's much more short, she's much more formal. She is trying to basically do a caricature of what he interprets the captain to be like. Right? It's not exactly correct, and you can tell from the beginning that something's up, but it's not like so obvious or so weird such that it's like, okay, throw a flag on the field. Clearly the, the captain's been taken over by some sort of, you know, Demi Q and we're all Which, fucked right now. You know, let's reflect on that for a second. You know, we used to really harp on the formulaic dilemmas that Voyager were into. Why is this guy acting weird? Is it space madness? We haven't seen space madness in a long time. Is it outside alien influence? Or we haven't seen that in a while. Um, you know, doppelgangers this that uh using the doctor as the vehicle to tell this story is interesting and what i really like is that all of these portrayals are well within tolerance of how that person would act like is it spot on no but i don't fault anybody in the crew for not spotting that something is up and that's for a multitude of it's close enough such that it's not some like the fact that chakotay kind of has to go through a process before he's like, okay, you're not actually the captain, right? Like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's credible. And it's because the doctor is very intelligent. It's because he's working with a database of known activities. Um, it flows. I really like the plan that he comes in with um, is as plausible as it is. So fake Janeway calls Chakotay into the reading room. Hey, uh, we've encountered a new species light years beyond where we are technologically. Um, they've got all sorts of crazy tech. I'm going to lay it on the table. Now, here's the problem. They are eco extremists and they believe that traditional warp drive is destroying the subspace fabric and they have outlawed it on threat of disassembly of any ship that's caught using it within their um territory so we have been ordered to report to this planet where we are going to surrender our warp core and in exchange you will let us keep our ship and Chakotay is like oh shit uh well hey let's just turn tail and run well here's the bad news 
we've actually been in their zone, their their territory for the last three weeks. Dakota goes, well, they, you know, they didn't really mark that boundary very well, which when does a bad guy ever? And they begin kind of this conflict, like, listen, we've been in tighter spots than this before. Like, shouldn't we have like a crew meeting? Shouldn't we like have a discussion? And you have a very, uh, very prickly response from the captain uh, endorsing basically her unilateral decision that this is the way it is. And then Chakotay tries to drop some shit on the table like, you know, you never act like this. You always involve other people. Blah, 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 blah. I completely forgot about Scorpion part one and two. <laughs> I've completely forgotten about all the other times of giving you advice and you've decided to ignore it. Like mm-hmm. this is this is Equinox. Just- um I can't remember year of hell, but you know, that was a thing. Uh, One detail that they got correct in the scene that I really liked was that they were portraying this, uh, this race as having control basically all the way to the beta quadrant, which based on like how the whole galaxy is kind of oriented actually makes sense in terms of like the beta quadrant is between where, the Voyager is and them actually getting back to the Alpha Quadrant. I really like the angle of eco extremists objecting to war subspace pollution. pollution. Yeah, because with which that's is a plot. A, yeah, that's a thing. That's a one of one of the most remarkable, I think, episodes of TNG dealt specifically with it. And I think it was a shame that it never went anywhere. That's where, you know, the Enterprise had eco terrorists not terror, you know, just environmental extremists. Basically. Yeah. Space Greenpeace basically uh, instituted a galaxy wide uh, uh, speed limit. And I to think eliminate, the clo- to eliminate uh, galaxy warming. Yeah. <laughs> That's what that was. And the closest I think they ever came to any sort of follow up whatsoever on that episode is as a attempted explanation as to why Voyager has moving parts. Why, why the warp nacelles uh, pivot was to make a less intrusive warp bubble, which they came they came up with uh, the, uh, you know, the green energy solution or whatever to prevent the space warming. You know, the, the, the cells move. That's apparently all you needed to do. A little hocus pocus. It was a cool reference. But hey, listen, Chakotay, I've made up my mind. This is how it is. Keep this between us. I'll make a full announcement when the time is ready. But for right now, laying a course for this planet and uh, let's get rolling. She this fake Janeway then goes down and talks to Bolana and says, change. What would you do? What would you have to do hypothetically to uh, tow a warp core at warp on the Delta Flyer? Oh, I'd have to do some space, you know, mechanic stuff that I can instantly explain. Cool. Go do that. <laughs> like. I thought that was hypothetical. It's not now. Go do it. <laughs> I like the doctor laying multiple contingencies down here. Janeway even says that, right? Like she even alludes to the idea that the doctor is going to come up with basically some way to deal with the scenario, which we're skipping ahead a little bit because this reveal doesn't happen until later. But eventually, as the doctor's working his whole his whole thing, uh, he finally the, the veil is, is parted back and we see that it is, in fact, the Tater Boys apparently a couple road tater boys have uh, captured the captain and this whole getting Voyager's warp core thing is the price that they're demanding for uh, Janeway's continued existence that they have threatened to kill her 
unless the doctor makes all this happen. And at, at while they, they have their scenes that cut away to the Tater Boy ship, Janeway actually posits the idea of like, oh, the doctor's doing some next level shit. You think you're tapped into his program. You can see and hear everything he sees in here. He's going to find a way. He's going to find a way to beat you. He's got a million things in his program about every tactical scenario. He'll figure it out. And it turns out that is true. And it is really neat that he's setting up these different ways of dealing with the scenario that he is unfortunately about to inflict on the ship. Well, I think he does a great job laying multiple contingencies down to achieve success. Uh, You know, if we're going to start getting into criticisms of the episode, it's that I don't think he's nearly as appropriately aggressive at directly confronting the threat in front of him with the tater boys. And I think if anything, that's the series, that's the uh, episode's biggest shortcoming is for all intents and purposes. Um, you know, he is this next level badass who bests, you know, one of the best Starfleet crews out there at this point, uh, instead of just kicking the shit out of these two clowns and beaming them off into space or something. So basically the Tater boys are employing technology we've already seen brought to the table before. And that is their ability with the technology that is available in the stolen ship. They've mm-hmm. left what's it called the hierarchy. That is correct. They've left the hierarchy. These are fugitives and uh, they've stumbled across Voyager and their sensors are able to directly tap into the doctor. So he sees what they see or they see what he sees, which and... literally happened before when they did the ECH episode with the Tater Boys originally. Like this mm-hmm. is how they thought that the doctor was super Billy badass with the photonic cannon because they were tapping into his program to do this. This is directly linked to that episode in that way. So let me just go ahead and air my grievance right now. Um, the doctor's decision to pursue this ridiculous agenda that they've laid out, because if he doesn't, they're going to kill Janeway. You're telling me that the doctor can be like, okay, well you can see what I see and hear what I hear. Like I'm going to look to the left while I write a note here where I'm not looking that says captain has been kidnapped. I'm being compelled to steal the warp core. They're at X, Y, Z location, send a strike team. Like, he all, all the stuff the doctor can do and he can't just like write without looking at it. They made it sound like it was more inclusive, but the way that they showed it was them watching it. Like it was Jordy's visor that was tapped, you know, it, it wasn't like it didn't, it looked like there was plenty of ways for him to get away with communicating in a way that was um, covert. I think the intention was that there wasn't and that that's what they were trying to convey, but, they did not do it well. And it does leave this giant kind of hole where the doctor seems to be going through an ordinate amount of effort and incredible actions to get this fucking warp core when he really could have just put some kind of, you know, note uh, in someone's locker and be like PLZ help. Yeah. Big miss there. Uh, And that's, that's part a of the miss. And of course, part B of the miss is that he runs up the fucking wall like Neo and steals a phaser out of Tuvok's hand and blasts him. He can't take down two tater boys with, with yeah. a sucker punch. 
<laughs> like he he didn't immediately just go back over to their ship and take one of their many available space pipes and just you know do what his buddy Lon taught him to do. He'd be like, "Hey, listen, there's two Tater Boys in front of me. That's two Tater Hearts. Let me show you what I learned in that episode where uh, that rogue hologram squeezed Balana's heart through her chest. I'm going to rip your Bob. hearts out of your chest and take a bite." With some straight up Shang Tsung bullshit. No, no, that was Kano that bit the heart. It was, yeah. So let me take those objections. Those completely rational and episode traumatic observations. And I'm just going to set them off to the side so we can continue discussing what a badass the doctor is. Yeah, yeah. If only if only he had used 5% of that effort to, to trounce some discount Delta Quadrant Ferengi. Mm. We wouldn't be in this mess. But mm-hmm. we... But he is. So there's we see a lot more of him working the angles to get this. He eventually actually the way that the grift goes down is the Janeway disguise is starting to be difficult for him to maintain. So he, she he quote unquote goes to his quarters. Chakotay goes to see the doctor who has to beam in, you know, very clear hint of what's going on. And from there sends him to go check on the, the captain. She's not feeling well. And there's this whole, you know, kind of fugazi with him saying she's fine. And then he goes to check up on her again. And then that's when he finally is like connected enough dots. that There's some fucky shit that's happening and manages to satisfy his uh, potential um, suspicions by feeding the fake Janeway that is the doctor a fake story from Janeway's background that he then admits he made up and then tries to call security uh, only to find out the doctor's already anticipated that put a dampening field on there and then injects him with some night night juice and then hides him in the most metal place to hide someone and that is Voyager's fucking morgue a place we have never seen before Mm mm closest we've come to the morgue is uh that bio bed on the delta fly where they were keeping seven of nine's corpse and timeless uh and this is going to become a little trope this this is a very solid snake episode he has truly learned from lon's suitor and he is dragging uh unconscious foes into a closet where he's going to stick them long term sets up a dampening field so sensors aren't picking it up he straight up hit this guy with a stun gun and then puts him in the locker and is like, I really hope that his body doesn't fall out when the guard's on patrol later. Don't worry, Chakotay. It's not going to be long until you have some company. Unfortunately, it's in the form of Garrett Wong. <sighs> so what's going to happen is the doctor is going to continue trying to work this angle. Well, two angles, really. Uh the A plan, which is we need to go to this planet where we're going to rendezvous and jettison the core. And the backup plan, which is in case I need to, I can smash glass and uh, eject the warp core and try and fly off with the Delta Flyer and this thing in tow. Uh, and as he works deeper and more time goes on, more and more loose ends begin to unravel. More and more people will come suspicious. Uh, At a certain point, they catch a communication from the fantasy race of uh, eco-extremists demanding cooperation Uh, that turns Seven of Nine and Kim on to investigating what's going on. And as these people get closer to the truth or become inconvenient, they catch a hypospray to the neck, get knocked out and dragged off for storage. And I really like how the doctor begins a collection of com badges. 
yes, of, of dog tag like combat is that he has harvested <laughs> off of the fallen crew members. Which he has to keep cycling through when different crew members that he's impersonating and has been get incapacitated get called for by someone else. Let's talk about the other sweet ass upgrade we've seen. It's oh, by the way, my only weak point, which is this fucking hollow emitter. Turns out I can stick this thing on my boot under my pant leg so no one sees it and knows it's a valid target. This this secret technology that we cannot put out on the table until we're at the end of the series and we do not have to be beholden to these feats of godhood. My favorite doctor impersonating someone uh, beat was definitely supportive husband Tom coming to see what what at that point is is fake Bolana after they do the gag where oh I have to be pregnant Um, because she is trying to get a bunch of bioneural gel packs as part of the negotiation with the tater boys, of what's going to be necessary to save the captain. And it has to go up to the makeout slash murder loft. And of course that is where Tom shows up with lunch. With you know, more like, fried hey, chicken. Yeah. I, I, I want to feed my wife fried chicken. Tom's a feeder. This is, this is his, that's his thing. The doctor not knowing how to be married and being very stilted. And I'm like, oh, this is their normal dialogue. <laughs> wow, there's more chemistry between fake Balana and Tom <laughs> than there is real Tom, Balana and Tom most of the time. But ultimately, the the whole thing starts to fall apart uh, the closer that the doctor gets to finally trying to uh, put the finishing touches on his plan. And Tuvok is the one that uh, ultimately puts it together. Gosh, how embarrassing. How embarrassing for Detective Tuvok to actually get the leg up on somebody, let alone AI. I mean, hey, it's it's some effort. I mean, it took some doing for that to happen in this episode. You know, we did scans on the Delta Flyer. The communications really weren't bad after all, like, uh, you know, Janeway claimed they were. We noticed that when it was coming in uh, along that uh, deflector dish communication signal, you also subvertly accessed the hollow matrix and pulled part of the database down, which of course was going to be the Janeway uh, thing. You know, can you explain this stuff? Uh, AKA the jig is up. He pulls the phaser out on the doctor. Doctor's like, Hey, in case you forgot, you can't kill me. And then two box like, yeah, well, how about this? And he shoots out one of the hollow emitters. And then the doctor quite literally jumps into action and all your wildest holographic fantasies come true as he oh, jumps. Yeah. This is this is everything on your list. Minus, you know, grabbing his heart and squeezing it. He's jumping through walls. He's running through the table. He's turned on uh, no clipping mode. He he changes the sensors basically so he can't be found. And uh, they Tuvok is kind of on to his game a little bit. He he makes it so that they're scanning for his future tech. Uh, it's Tom who's in command of the ship at this point because fucking so many people are unconscious. Aren't <laughs> Another half available. of the bridge crews in the fucking morgue. So Tom's in the captain's chair. It's, that probably hasn't happened since, uh, you know, what? I guess Unimatrix Zero was the last time he was like, he was just he was just first officer then, actually. I don't think he's been in the captain's chair probably since New Jack Neelix. And he's working with uh with uh, Tuvok to try and track down the, the the doctor, and eventually he switches up his appearance to Bolana to try and bluff his way past Tuvok. But at this point, he cannot be fooled, and because that's the tricorder that he has. Otherwise, it's a it's a pretty convincing play he makes with this. 
you've got this slippery, slimy, not slimy, but this very convincing doppelganger just running hot game on the ship. Uh, Tuvok ain't having it. I know it's you. He's got the phaser on him. I was like, oh shit, here we go. And then just, we've talked about it six times now because it's <laughs> that impressive. It, it It is out of nowhere. Runs up. Goes across the the wall. Flips the, off the wall. Yeah, plucks the phaser out of Tuvok's hand as if he was taking a a piece of candy from a wee baby, and then blasts him with it, and then like just drops the nine and walks off. And we even get like a shot of like Tom being like, "Hey, Tuvok, uh, I lost them. You know, he's there's a shuttle Tuvok, and he's just and there's an unconscious Tuvok unceremoniously flopped into the hallway post phaser stun, not moving. <laughs> they did just you watch uh, WandaVision? Yes, I did. Okay, well, remember that song, It's Agnes All Along? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, here's a song for you on this one. He was T-1000 all along. <laughs> Straight, I was like, wow, what a horrifying... I mean, this is a very fun, warm-hearted episode. In reality, this should be fucking horrific, all right? For him realizing his true potential and the extremes he's going through to credibly play the crew against itself to steal the fucking warp core to run hot dick on the entire cast. He is. It's amazing how effective he is. They, they, he, he does not make a single material mistake except talking to himself on the bridge as Janeway. That's the only time the veil drops for a second on purpose. Had he had those two lines of ethical subroutines neutralized and would, was, was, would not be too much of a goody two shoes to turn his hands into like guillotine blades straight up T 1000 all over the place. Imagine and, if he had un- understood this potential when they built fucking hollow emitters in the entirety of the ship and the erosion took it over. <laughs> he could have just, he could have just matrix wall walked his way through all the erosion slappers. Only one shot kills all along. Wipe them out. I, by the end, Janeway lightly chastised. I'd be so fucking pissed and be like, you've been capable of this the entire time. And the number of instances you've allowed this ship to be taken over by hostile forces, you fucking asshole. <laughs> you fucking <laughs> asshole. So, so yeah, I mean, this should be a very scary series of events. And even by the end, again, the doctor capable of doing all this stuff this crazy Rube Goldberg machine of how to steal the warp core. When clearly the very simple right answer would have been to fuck up the tater boys or to write a note looking the other way, like this death star grade weapon you've had just chilling out in the sick bay, uh, flashing lights on howdy duties pecs. <laughs> Like, really capable of going, like, crazy haywire rogue. And this is all, like, you know, the best of intentions. Uh, yeah, like, wow, what what, yeah, a, what what a terrible thing you've wrought on us uh, when there was such a simple solution within Grasp. I mean, I, I think that you're correct in that the, this episode's only true genuine failure is not allowing the Doctor to be the one that, like, 
manages to solid snake solve the problem in the end right like he doesn't he doesn't have like a second level plan that he's been cooking the whole time he's been basically buying time for himself by like enacting what the tater boys want mm. and, then he, and then he like goes to deliver on it and then is like yeah surprise assholes i'm it was i was secretly like running hot dick on you the entire time too like i was using a carrier wave as a feedback loop and disable your ship using the transmission you know frequency or like hey, everything i've done was to piss enough people off that they would all converge on me at the same time from different directions and inadvertently catch you in the trap along with me like yeah i guess that's kind of the disservice that he's this smart and this capable but he has such bad butterfingers but at this point he he's getting shit done all right the jig is up um he has knocked chakotay into next week uh, he runs in uh, to engineering and he's got the old Chicote disguise back up. Oh, my God. There's a sensor misreading. The doctor is going to blow up the ship. Get everybody out of here. We're going to have a warp core breach. Leave. Blana, save your baby. Get out of here. And she's like, OK, you, you hit the you hit the right button for me. I'll back off. I only to at the last second hear from Tom on the bridge. Oh, hey, the the signature of the mobile knitters right in front of the warp core. That's the doctor. And uh, as a little uh, little cherry on top of the secret agent Sunday, how is it that the doctor successfully ejects the core? He turns himself into the ECH, the emergency command hologram, puts on the red uniform, gets his gets his hollow pips and uh confidently engages the uh the warp core to eject and then uh get beats feet to the delta flyer and uh, is off the ship there's that redundant backup plan smash and grab how great would have been when he uh enacts the ech if he like went to go hit the button to eject the warp core just like wow what am i doing (laughs) (laughs) oh fuck i've been a real dummy that doctor version of me <laughs> missed... <laughs> like wait a second all this is a bad idea <laughs> yeah i could have just slapped both the tater boys in their hearts and been done with this moops <laughs> he takes the warp core to where the tater boys are at and there's like there's like nibbly tater bo- tater boy and there's asshole tater boy and you can see it coming a mile away how this is going to go. You know, like Janeway's trying to buddy up to the nibbly tater boy while the asshole tater boy's abusing him. And like you uh, do. Like you a, do. I, and there's no way to know. I mean, these guys are so foreign. <laughs> they all look the same. Uh, I couldn't for a second. I was like, man, are these the original like two tater boys from uh, Tinker, Tenor, Doctor Spy? I don't think it is, though. I I think you would, there would have been some real discussion about, like, you know, we know what you're capable of, blah, blah, blah. I think these are just two rando tater boys. I'm going to double check here real quick, because um, the, the nibbly one definitely, like, is like the guy who is the super fan. No, nah, it's not. It's it's a different dude. You're you are correct. They, they have never appeared in any other episodes, but they're, like fulfilled similar roles, though to the Tinker Taylor Dr. Spy um, episode where one of them is super into the doctor's exploits and the other one is like trying to profit from it. Um, they have, of course, asshole tater boy immediately betrays the doctor and like 
steals the warp core and then like beams him into the brig and Janeway's like, oh, of course, now we're all completely fucked. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Uh, but ultimately, we find the doctor did, in fact, have a backup plan to his backup plan. And that was an audio cue that played for the ship when they reactivated the backup power, the impulse engines. And it's a piece of music that is purposefully incorrectly played that he apparently played for a recital for all of them previously. And when they look at the audio log, they see that the pattern of the incorrect piece matches a warp signature that is actually in front of them after they scan for it, giving them a clear path to where the Tato boys are hiding. They don't have a warp core, though, so they send Tom and Tuvok in a shuttlecraft to go see what the fuck is going on. I want to say that I never get tired of seeing the warp core ejected. It was oh, yeah, cool. it was a great effect. It's cool out there in space. It's a neat thing that Voyager can do. It was, well, it's a neat thing that all the Berman era starships can yeah, do. It was the only, it's the only time sure, sure, sure. on Voyager. But, I mean, it was cool in, uh, hey, wow, look, Joe. <laughs> well, they could have saved the D if they ejected the core. Yeah, and oh, that's no, been no, brought no, up no, many no. times. The last time we saw the warp core ejected was Balana has a bad day. Correct. Who was the special guest alien race in that? It was those guys who were like super abused by the Borg and were like, yeah, that's what no. they really are. But I mean, what do we call them? I forget what we call the them. fried chicken people, Joe. Oh, that's right. And here's another episode where they eject the warp core heavily featuring fried chicken to the point where there's there's like dialogue about its unhealthiness. Yes. Oh my God. This Fried is... chicken and warp core ejections go hand in hand. Also, what goes hand in hand is going to be my criticism that you lost the warp core. You're stuck in a fucking Delta quadrant. You are dead in the water. You are a sitting duck. Okay. And you know where the warp core is. And all you do is you send out one rinky dink bullshit class two shuttlecraft with two fucking people. You get everybody on every shuttlecraft and life pod <laughs> and whatever. You get Ayala in a fucking shuttlecraft with as many pipes as he can hold, and you collectively send a fucking lynch mob out to this place, and you beat the fuck out of the people who have stolen your warp core. You don't send two people out in one, I'm designed to explode from the ground up type two shuttlecraft. Get the fuck out of here. What, did you suddenly run out of money at the end of this episode? There should have been an armada of shuttlecraft flying they, there should have been people standing on pieces the of the hull. it's about like how many times the shuttlecraft exploded how many shuttlecraft were on the ship it's like they, sh- they should have leaned into that they should have like they should have shown you one of the crew members from the equinox and he gets in a shuttle and it's got like a torpedo like taped to the front that's what i was gonna say and like, like chakotay says you know what you have to do <laughs> like you, you should have holographic uh, klingon fucking seven of nine riding a photon torpedo like the silver <laughs> surfer in her first generation <laughs> cat suit ready to fucking beat ass ridiculous ridiculous they send the one shuttle they show up uh and they manage to with with tom which is a good pick because he's a mary sue but then tuvok who has like a 50 percent chance of getting his ass kicked in any encounter but they get tom onto the delta flyer and then they start 2v1ing the tater boys who apparently are not built for a fight 
their power goes down. So we start some low intensity Trek fighting uh, where the doctor who we get in dialogue is starting to like be overwhelmed by all the changes the tater boys are making. And he might decompile. Um, he gets into a like hand to hand combat, but apparently all that decompiling made him forget his fucking T 1000 sweet ninja. Moves. Not buying it. Not <laughs> like, buying it. Totally... You just had this guy run up the fucking wall. <laughs> yeah. Like, like a Jedi Knight in a nineties <laughs> video game. And now all of a sudden he can't fucking he can't melee a tater boy like I was like, oh, man, I hope he like manifests a third arm and like uppercut punches him. You've played Symphony of the Night, right? Yeah. It's like when you start out and Alucard's got all that cool weaponry and you're just like cruising and then you run into death and he takes all your weapons. Not you know, doctor ran into death. It just it took all of his it took all of his power ups. Everything after the <laughs> doctor gets fucking uh, beamed into the brig because they even like have him come out and he's just standing there. I'm like, dude, turn those hands into like lightsabers and cut these. Fl- none of it. None of it. Like all the badassery stops the second the doctor is not actively working against his own crew. Um, there is a pretty cool part where uh, bad tater boy tells nibbly tater boy beam their warp core out into space. And then I'm going to hit it with a photon torpedo and it's going to blow these fucking guys up and we're just going to scoot off. Nibbly Tater Boy, uh, this starts crossing lines. He did not sign up for murder and he is not okay with the drastic evil turn these events have taken. Um, And that will manifest itself as a uh, a plasma relay that he busts evil Tater Boy over the head with like a sawed off pool cue. You know what? It's close enough to a space pipe for government work. That's a space pipe if I've ever seen one. And Nibbly Tater Boy makes the turn that you expected from the moment you met him. He mm-hmm. ends up back in Team Good Guys and essentially saves the day by enabling the captain, the doctor, and the warp core and everything to to go back where it belongs. Before we end this episode, though, we are treated to the world's most awkward scene. But played for amazing laughs uh, as the doctor is decompiling that he is in the, the holodeck. They're trying to save him. He thinks he's going to die. They keep trying to interrupt him to tell him, no, really, you're not going to die. It's going to be fine. But he's too dramatic. He can't he can't hear them. You know, he's 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 stuck in the, in the moment. Boat. He's in his dramatic moment. And so he goes around and then says makes incredibly embarrassing confessions to almost everyone in the room. He's like. Hey, Captain, I once kept a log of how shitty you were at your di- at your job. Got to burn on you. Yeah, please, please burn my burn book. Uh, hey, uh, Harry, I'm really sorry that I told people you're terrible at playing the fucking saxophone. Uh, Tuvok, I told Neelix you got chlamydia. Yeah, you got genital warts. And I told people yeah. I'm sorry about that. Seven and nine. Oh, oh, that's the best one. That's the best one. Because he goes to look at seven of nine and she knows from the start what he's going to confess. Okay, she knows. And she's like, please, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And comes up and she has got this look on her face of like, holy shit. I can't believe you're embarrassing yourself like this right now. Like, please stop. Please stop. 
don't please stop saying how much you love me. Oh my God. No, don't do it. It's Listen, great. buddy, we all saw your dirty fantasies in the Tater Boy episode. Yeah, we know. We know you painted me like one of your French girls. I get mm-hmm. it. We we all get it. Don't have to do this. We all know where these implants came from and they weren't the Borg. But of course, he he makes his dramatic confession of love to Seven of Nine, says farewell only to be immediately recompiled by Bolana and then come back. I love it. That program cuts out. Janeway very concerned. <gasps> Tell me we didn't lose. And then Bolana just cuts her up. No, I got him. Yeah, he's fine. No, no. I, <laughs> he the, was fine the, the whole time. The, the, the smarminess. Of, no, I got him. I, I would like for that to be my my text message. Like chime on my phone. That's no, no, A plus. Him. So yeah. good. Just no. the right amount of contempt was good. And perf- which, again, that's why I love the scene. It's like everyone was like correct on where their characters are at. Like Jerry Ryan's facial expressions while the fucking confession is like reflective of her like newly found humanity and is like, oh, damn, this is awful. This is so bad Does, for you. <laughs> Bolana never gets knocked out in this. He impersonates her, but he doesn't zap her out first. Correct. The The only people who actually get God are Chakotay, uh, Harry and uh, Tuvok. And a captain, I guess, is technically capacitated. Uh, he, he doesn't knock her out, though. Uh, wow. In a rare turn of events, the first and only time the doctor goes rogue and does not victimize Bolana in the process. Wow. How far we've come as a character. <laughs> I guess there was infidelity. He ki- he kissed his, uh, her husband. Mm, that kiss was for some. That was not consensual. <laughs> Tom's like, hey, it's cool. I was in prison. I do this all the time. <laughs> so the the doctor is embarrassed. He doesn't want to leave sick bay. I'm and... suddenly real quick. I'm suddenly reminded of the time that the doctor blipped into her view screen in the bathroom. Correct. And had like a weird hanging moment of like lecherously looking at her. What a complicated relationship those two have. We end the episode where we began, which the doctor basically like with the, the captain wanting to socialize with the doctor and treat him like a person and just completely does not talk about the fact that the doctor ran hot dick over all the ship, broke every rule, ejected the warp core, nearly imperiled their entire ability to get home. He's like, I'm for gonna, the flimsiest of reasons. Yeah, I'm going to be like, I'm not going to let you use your mobile emitter for six days, but you've been in here for a week. So now you can use your mobile emitter. Come get coffee with me. I got a cool go. place in uh, Buenos Aires. I know about no, no, not Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires, <laughs> like very overpronounced, like very Buenos Aires. Again. The fact that she the, the real criminal act here isn't him running hot dick all over the crew. It's her not confronting him and saying, um, remember Hogan, how Hogan died when a dinosaur bit his head off because we got invaded by Kazon that you could have absolutely fucking neutralized in the blink of an eye. You stingy sandbagging motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, Hogan remembers that too, especially when Neelix told him to stand on the death mark. Uh, Hogan's Hogan's ripped up, bled on, uniform, tattered remains that the dinosaur people scooped up off the planet might remember. Hogan does not remember because he is dino worm shit somewhere right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, they killed that dino, right? And also, like, that rando Vulcan died in the process. Uh, who knows, man? Who knows? All right. Well, I think yeah. we've talked this one through. It was It's pretty good. Like, it's not a bad episode. It's fun for us because you know, we have leaned in so much on, like, the doctor should be a badass. And then it just pays off like this. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure they'll never they won't go anywhere near this level of competency in uh, threshold. But yeah, it, this is definitely that super weapon you get at the end of the video game that is just way overpowered. Uh, you have to introduce this thing as literally the last ep- normal episode uh, because of the absurd competency it puts in the hands of this guy. Absolutely. T-1000 after all. Move over, Skynet. There's a new AI in town. Peter, for the last time, what are we watching next week? All right. We're going to be going into... Season 6, Episode 21, Live Fast and Prosper. We can do that, right? We can just... We can <laughs> perpetually... Loop us back around to their greatest hits? Just perpetually <laughs> shrug off the creeping advances of enterprise by living in Voyager. We're at the end season seven, episode 25 end game. We've got uh, what looks like some Starfleet people, probably cadets. I don't see department colors. These guys are wearing the all good things, future Federation uniforms with the cool badges. Voyager's quest to return home is aided by a visitor from the future. Admiral Catherine Janeway. Take that temporal space directive. It is quite fitting that the last episode of this show about a woman who once said that she hates time travel involves her engaging in gross temporal violations. But you'll have to tell me what you think. Uh, Of the, the finales, I think Voyagers is considered, you know, not certainly the worst, but I think it's definitely worse than all good things. And I would say it's, it's well, what's not worse than DS- all good things. I mean, that's, yeah, it's perfect. Good, yes. I have always thought of Endgame as a good finale to Voyager. Like if you've got to end this story at some point, right, you've got to have them actually finally get a shortcut home that works. That's always been what's on the table for how the show comes to an end. And it was never going to end any other way. So with that in mind, the the story they come up with to finally pull that trigger is a pretty good one. And they spend the time. It's feature length. They spend the time to, to build it up and pay it off in a way that's pretty satisfactory. Um, we'll see if that uh, assessment stands up after a rewatch here. But I'll obviously be very interested in what you have to say having finally concluded watching the entirety of a a Star Trek series not named TNG. This will be a new thing for you. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, it will. Uh, Because Lower Decks is not wrapped yet. All right, everybody. We deeply appreciate your continued journey with us and V'ger, please. As a reminder, as we've alluded to, just because we're ending our run on Voyager does not mean Read Your Please is ending. Indeed, we will be uh, beginning uh, episodes on Star Trek Enterprise beginning in March of 2022. 
Uh, we want to take some time off, not just to have a little bit of a breather, but also get going on a new whole new kind of production schedule. We've, you might have already heard via my own voice that we were improving our, our production quality to the extent possible. And, you know, we're going to we're going to be doing a lot of that to kind of like celebrate a new chapter with a fresh look. So if you are hearing this and thinking, oh, no, this new podcast I just discovered is coming to an end. It is not. And we'll continue on strong and we look forward to having you along for the ride. And until next week, when we finally review Voyager's last episode, take care. <laughs>